You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I hope this song puts you in a happy mood. Might be the only thing it does. Oh, no, I'm not going to depress you during the whole show. In fact, you're going to love the 8 to uh, to 9 hour. We're going to talk about some great stuff. we got Councillor Jody Middick coming in and also Tony Bernardo from the Canadian Shooting Sports Association because I'm going to explain why gun owners are not pariahs. I'm going to talk to you about why gun owners are not people to be shunned. They're some of the most upstanding, law-abiding citizens you will meet. So why are they being treated by pariahs in the media? All over the place in the media. Why? We'll get into that. But right now I want to talk about sunshine and lollipops and Justin Trudeau at the UN. Yes, that's right. Our prime minister was at the United Nations. And my issue today is not with Justin Trudeau. I know some of you are thinking, there goes Lily again. He's picking on our poor prime minister. No. No, I'm going to pick on the UN. But unfortunately, some Canadians have a rose-colored glasses view of the United Nations. A very, very rose-colored glasses view. In fact, I wish I could remember the name of the song now. The Blue Rodeo has the song. She sees the world through rose-colored glasses. That's pretty much the way that Canadians view the United Nations. And so Prime Minister Bobblehead, I mean, Justin Trudeau, was at the United Nations today talking about what a great organization it was and how Canada, once again, is back. It is a tremendous privilege to be here addressing this group. This is an important day for Canada and for Canadians, and I'm deeply touched that all of you chose to be a part of it. Just last month, I had the distinct pleasure of welcoming UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon to Canada. We met with some of my most senior ministers, as well as in private, to discuss issues of pressing importance to both the UN and to Canada. We talked about the importance of the Paris Agreement in combating climate change and creating a clean economy alongside our international partners. We discussed Canada's new, refocused approach for Iraq, Syria, and the broader region. Mr. Ban expressed his appreciation for the example Canada has set in resettling Syrian refugees and confronting the global migration and refugee crisis. We also touched on a subject that's very important to me, gender equality and the empowerment of women and girls around the world and the essential leadership men also have to play on that front. All righty. The essential role that men have to play in pushing for women's equality as he talks about being back at the United Nations. So let me ask, did he bring up the issue of women's equality when it comes to the United Nations Human Rights Commission? Because one of the groups that oversees human rights at the United Nations is Saudi Arabia. And as we have discussed on this program, this is not a country that recognizes women's rights. Not at all. Let's go through the list of other members of the United Nations Human Rights Council. Well, Algeria. This is a country currently having all kinds of human rights violations uh, running through it. We've got, uh, 
let's see, Burundi, I, I believe they would fall within. Cuba, they jail more journalists than any other country in the world on a per capita basis. Nigeria, they've got their own problems going on. There's good and bad in Nigeria. Qatar, I don't believe that's a country that recognizes women's rights in quite the way that Justin Trudeau would because it's 2016. But that's not why Trudeau was there. He was using all that as window dressing for the big announcement, which is that Canada wants to join the United Nations Security Council. My wife Sophie and I were honored to host a dinner for the UN Secretary General at the end of his visit to Ottawa. There, I stated that Canada was looking forward to a renewed role at the United Nations in the years ahead. So today, I'm in New York to formally announce our intention to return to the UN Security Council table. Canada will actively pursue a seat on the United Nations Security Council for the 2021-2022 term. A tremendous day for Canada. We're seeking a United Nations security seat five years from now. The 2021-2022 term. Five years from now. That's insane. But what's more insane is that Canada wants to join an organization whose members include, this is the UN Security Council, their members include currently Angola, I want to read to you uh, Angola, Egypt, Senegal, and Venezuela. And I want to read to you so that you know it's not right-wing Lily picking on left-wing Trudeau. I want to read to you from Tim Harper's column in the Toronto Red Star today. Remember, the Toronto Star was established to be a mouth organ, a vehicle for the Liberal Party. This is fact. This is not speculation. This is why the Toronto Star was breathed into existence. From Tim Harper, his column is titled, The UN Needs Reform and Trudeau Should Push For It. Unfortunately, I didn't hear any pushing for it. I just heard pushing for Canada to join the Security Council. So Harper points out that Angola, Egypt, and Senegal, uh, as well as Venezuela, are all part of the UN Security Council. In his column, he writes, according to Amnesty International, Angola is a country where freedom of expression, association, assembly are severely restricted. Press freedom is restricted. Prisoners of conscience are in detention. Security legislation has been passed to allow arbitrary arrest and detention of peaceful protesters. Activities of non-governmental organizations are restricted. Let's go to Egypt. The most recent Human Rights Watch campaign revolves around the sentencing of four Coptic Christian teenagers to five years in prison for blasphemy after they were filmed mocking a Daesh video. Daesh. That's the term that the Toronto Star uses for ISIS. Four Coptic Christians sentenced to five years in prison for blasphemy for mocking an ISIS video. Senegal, according to Amnesty International, authorities continue to restrict freedom of peaceful assembly and use excessive force against protesters. Venezuela, under President Nicolas Maduro, opposition leaders have been imprisoned on politically motivated charges. Others are barred from running for office. Venezuela has banned U.N. rapporteurs and voted against U.N. resolutions condemning human rights abuses in North Korea and Syria. And we want to join this group. The five permanent members are the United States, the United Kingdom, France, 
China, and Russia. Just last week, Russia was trying to block attempts by the United States to condemn Iran for testing ballistic missiles. And we want to join this? It would be fine if we wanted to join it, but we were pushing for reform. And this is what I told the Harper government as well. And we'll talk to Tony Clement, the conservative critic who was a cabinet minister in the Harper government. He knows my views on the U.N. And he knows that for years I've been saying we should leave the United Nations if they will not reform. And they won't reform. And we do not have any politician willing to stand up and say they must reform. But they must. How can you have Angola and Egypt on the Security Council? How can you have Saudi Arabia on the Human Rights Council? How can you put North Korea on a disarmament body? Yes, they actually did that. In the middle of North Korea trying to obtain a nuclear weapon, they put North Korea on a disarmament body. Why? But the excuse was, we're the United Nations. We just go in turn, and their name was next on the list. It didn't matter that they were trying to get the bomb and blow the crap out of South Korea and all of their enemies in the Asia-Pacific region. That didn't matter. It's just, well, it's the UN. It's their turn next. If we're going to be a member of these groups and say that we stand up for Canadian values, then we have to do it by speaking loudly, not just going to nice little events where we get to say, hey, I like women's rights. Hey, I'm a feminist. It's got to be more than that. And right now, Justin Trudeau's not doing that. He's just trying to say the UN's wonderful and Canada is back. Canada is ready once again to take a seat at the UN Security Council. Our last term concluded a decade and a half ago in 2000. With a renewed commitment to international peace and security, now is the time for our return. Since 1945, since 1945, Canadians have accomplished extraordinary things in support of the UN's mission to promote human rights, development, and peace and security around the world. We are determined to help the UN make even greater strides in support of its goals for all humanity. My friends, it's time. It's time for Canada to step up once again. If we're going to stand up, then we have to be willing to stand up and say no to Saudi Arabia and the Human Rights Commission. We have to be willing to say no to Venezuela and the Security Council. We have to be willing to say that we are for human rights, real human rights, not the pretend garbage that's pushed around at the UN and voted on by states that will put you in jail for voicing opposition to the government or the deity that they believe in. That is what Canada should be doing. If Justin Trudeau truly wants Canada to be back, then please do this. This is the same plea that I made to Stephen Harper and the Conservatives. Actually, I actually told them to leave the U.N. That won't happen under this government. So please, let's push for reform. And if they won't reform, stop funding them. We are one of the biggest donors to the United Nations. We have leverage, both moral and financial, and we should use it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA. 
You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So I was just talking about the United Nations and the fact that we've got, um, well, countries that are not exactly on the up and up. Not the countries that we would not consider to be full of Canadian values that are part of the system, part of the United Nations system. And one of them includes North Korea. North Korea, which is put on the same level playing field as Canada, as the United States, as Britain, they have just sentenced a a University of Virginia student to jail. Why? They don't like him. I was used and manipulated. This is a University of North Korea, or sorry, a, um, a University of Virginia student who has... He said he was given 15, sorry, he was given 15 years hard labor for what they say is trying to steal a propaganda banner from a hotel. Guy's name is Otto, Otto Warbler. Sorry, I thought that clip was longer than it was. He was given the sentence by North Korea's highest court. He said he took the banner who, at the request of a friend that wanted to hang it in their church. 15 years hard labor. Why not just kick him out of the country? This is an organization that is on a level playing field with Canada due to the United Nations system and how it works. Yesterday I was talking to you about the stabbing in Toronto at the recruitment center, the Canadian Forces Recruitment Center. I said you need to remember that this is part of a larger, larger battle going on around the world, the battle that includes Afghanistan, where they're currently fighting back against ISIS. In Afghanistan, the government is trying to push back ISIS rebels. They're trying to do the same in Iraq. They're trying to do the same in Syria. By the way, these are all Muslim countries. They're not anti-Muslim for fighting back against ISIS. Now we've got a guy who is walking in and for the same jihadist views that are driving the folks at ISIS, trying to stab our armed forces members. In Nigeria, in Nigeria... Rescuers are searching for bodies of survivors at a mosque. Yeah, a mosque that officials say was blown up by Boko Haram. They say it was attacked by two female suicide bombers. The attack happened during dawn prayers, killed at least 24 people, according to reporter Michelle Fall. They did claim responsibility for the last attack on Maiduguri, which was on December 28, when they lobbed rocket-propelled grenades into residential areas and multiple suicide bombers attacked the city and at least 50 people were killed. When I say that you don't have to be worried about being Islamophobic for being worried about jihadist attackers, I mean it. A mosque was blown up by Boko Haram, an organization that has pledged allegiance to ISIS. A mosque. Apparently, they weren't Muslim enough in the eyes of Boko Haram. In Afghanistan, it's a Muslim country. In Iraq, in Syria, Muslim-dominant countries, they're still under attack. Being against the jihadis trying to impose their worldview does not make you 
anti-Muslim or Islamophobic. It makes you a sensible person. The same battle that we are fighting here, Muslims around the world are fighting in their own countries. Last story I want to bring to you revolves around the issue of Syrian refugees. I broke the story about the fact that most of the refugees coming to Canada did not come from the refugee camps. Remember, we were told we had to rush them through because these people are living in deplorable conditions in camps. Well, they weren't. We are also told that we might have to house them at military bases. Well, turns out that the federal government spent $6 million upgrading military bases for Syrian refugees who never arrived. We've been putting them up at hotels. They're still filling the Radisson and the Embassy Suites, as far as I know. They're still filling hotels in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and elsewhere. But this is from documents tabled in Parliament in response to what's called an order paper question. They had to upgrade barracks and other facilities on the understanding that they might be bringing in as many as 6,000 of the 25,000 refugees to stay at Canadian Forces bases. They updated uh, cadet barracks. They moved military personnel out of their homes in barracks on bases in several communities across Canada. They never stayed there. It's great for the military. They get the upgrade. Uh, They get better facilities. But they also had to end up buying a lot of gear that was never used. And by the way, that money does not come out of the Immigration Department's budget. That money comes out of the military's budget. That, my friends is a shame. Just a few of the stories that need more explaining here on Beyond the News. This is Beyond the News. My name's Brian Lilly. When we come back, Tony Clement will be joining me, the conservative foreign affairs critic, to talk about what happened in New York today. And at the top of the second hour, we'll be joined by Ottawa City Councillor Jody Middick to talk about responsible gun ownership and why gun owners should not be treated like pariahs. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Well, Justin Trudeau had his day in the sun at the United Nations, but is it all sun and glory and puppy dogs and unicorn tails? Let's bring in Tony Clement. He's the foreign affairs critic for the Conservative Party and joins me now. Uh, Tony uh, looking at this event in New York, I was saying at the top of the program, it reminds me of the Blue Rodeo song. She sees the world through rose-colored glasses. <laughs> yes, Justin, that's a, that's a good analogy. <laughs> but Justin Trudeau is down there talking about how this is a tremendous day for Canada because we're applying for a seat at the UN Security Council five years from now. Yeah, I, I, that, that, that was the part that really threw me off. Uh, this was like a promise for a further promise, which is beyond his first term. And uh, so it's hard hard to understand what uh, he was trying to communicate there. But the bigger problem, and I, I know you're a reporter who uh, cares about uh, these larger issues. The, big, the bigger issue, of course, is, uh, you know, what sort of UN do we want to be uh, enhanced members of? And uh, there's a lot of reform that has to go on in the UN if it's going to be a credible organization on issues like uh, human rights and security in the future. 
Well, you know, I, uh, I've i been a longtime critic of the U.N. I was a critic of the U.N. when you were part yeah. of the, the last government. Um, this is an organization that I think a lot of Canadians, not just liberals, but conservatives and you Democrats look at through and they think, well, it's the U.N. They're great. They're wonderful. But as Tim Harper, I want to point this out. This is Tim yeah. Harper writing in the Toronto Red Star today is saying the U.N. needs reform. And he points to some of the, the current members of the U.N. Security Council that we want to join include Angola, Egypt, Senegal, and Venezuela, all organ- all countries that are part of this organization, and they all have tremendous human rights violations. This is and not this a club is no, of the best countries in the world. No, no, there's no filter at the U.N., so uh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all about being uh, a nation-state. And it doesn't matter whether you're a despotic nation state or a democratic nation state, a good nation state or a bad nation state, you're all treated equally. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, the, uh, the original sin of this organization. And, uh, you know, when you've got uh, countries like Libya in the past and uh, I dare say Saudi Arabia currently as heading up their human rights organization, uh, there's there's a there's a disconnect with Canadian values there. So let's uh, all I'm saying is, look, you know, uh, Go in with an agenda. Go in with uh, some suggestions for reform. Go in with some ideas for financial accountability of this organization, uh, as well as political accountability, and then then maybe Canada can do some good. Is there the appetite for reform? I know that when you guys took power, uh, the the bureaucrats down at uh, Fort Pearson on Sussex Drive, Foreign Affairs, now Global Affairs, um, they they would resist anything that did not go against their core beliefs. And their core belief is that the U.N. is an, a good body in and of itself. I mean, they're not even like Tim Harper saying, look, there's warts on this thing. Let's deal with it. And, and kudos to Tim for that, because right. that's tough for the Toronto Star to admit. But it got to the point where I could tell that there was a schism between the prime minister's office and foreign affairs, because anything that was um, taking a hard line, on human rights or the UN came out of the prime minister's office and not foreign affairs because they couldn't get it past the bureaucrats. So between the bureaucracy and the worldview of the current government, do you think there is the the appetite to go in and say, let's work on this? Uh, I don't see it right now. I'm hoping that uh, a a dose of reality will make a difference on this front uh, with the uh, Trudeau government. Look, uh, I'm not here to say that the liberals hate Israel or the liberals hate democracies or, uh, you know, the liberals don't care about human rights. I'm not going to say that, but the logical extension of their headlong rush to uh, to enhance their image with UN organizations are that you can have these knockdown effects when it comes to uh, supporting the state of Israel or uh, acting in concert against terrorism or supporting human rights, because that's the logical consequence of uh, the, the the base uh, of of membership in the UN, where you, you know you 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 do the common denominator thing, and all of a sudden you've really got no teeth in a, in a policy that goes against the grain. So that's that's my concern about the future. I do want to ask you about Israel because you mentioned it yesterday. You and Peter Kent put out a news release. I talked about it on the air. The United Nations Human Rights Council is looking at appointing another special rapporteur on Israel and the Palestinian issue. This tends to be a person that just goes around and criticizes Israel as bad. And 
the, the first person on the list is someone named Penny Green, a British academic, and I talked about her last week. I didn't realize until your news release that the second person on the short list is a mm. Canadian academic that is equally worrisome when it comes to being unbiased with Israel. This is, this is it. I, I, they've organized uh, conferences and spoken out and published articles that uh, clearly are, are in the camp of, uh, of uh, divestment and sanctions and boycotting Israel. So you can't say that they don't have a point of view on this. It's a very uh, one-sided point of view. And, and our beef with the uh, boycott or divestment sanctions movement is it, it puts 100% of the blame of anything that goes on in the Middle East on, on, the, on the shoulders of the state of Israel. And that's, that's not fair, and it's not conducive to a peaceful resolution of the issues. So these two people should be automatically disqualified, in our opinion, from even being considered for the for this post. Okay. Well, I, and, and I hope they do that. I, I know that there's this desire to return to a so-called honest broker role. I'm not sure what that means other than a return to moral relativism. The, the, the right. Liberals have in the past been very strong friends of Israel, but this idea that Canada is somehow an honest broker that doesn't take sides between a democracy that recognizes human rights and people whose stated goal is wiping out the state of Israel. I don't know where that, that honest broker role sits. I don't know where the middle position is in that. And here's what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the liberal government hates Israel. I'm not saying that. And neither am I. Let's make that clear. Yeah, yeah. But what I am saying is the logical consequence of all of these decisions uh, in terms of getting closer to the U.N., talking to Putin, uh, seeking to normalize relations with Iran. The logical impact of that is contrary to Canadian values, including on the state of Israel, but also on a number of other fronts as well. And that's, that's my big worry, that, that uh, in order to enhance themselves with the UN or in order to show that they are dialoguing with despots, that the impact is that we won't have a, a say, a moral high ground to have a say, uh, on uh, the uh, the conduct of these individuals and countries. All right, last question. Uh, Tony Clement, I'm speaking with Tony Clement. He is the foreign affairs critic for the Conservative Party of Canada and MP for God's Country, also known as Paris and Muskoka. Uh, today is the two-year anniversary of the Russian annexation of Crimea, a part right. of Ukraine. Um, Stefan Dion did, did call them out today. Yes. But he did not include a line that used to be in every news release put out by the former government that you were part of, which said Canada will never accept. Exactly. So he did call it illegal, but he never said we'll never accept. Exactly. Um, does that leave you pause for concern, or am I splitting hairs? Yes, and we, we did issue a statement on this, too, uh, and, and made it clear that we noticed that uh, they did not include the language that uh, the Conservatives typically used when we were in government, namely that we would not accept this is a fait accompli that Putin, uh, by, by virtue of, of uh, illegally entering another country, invading another country, uh, annexing part of that country, uh, and then, uh, of course, being involved with irregular and regular troops in the eastern Ukraine region of Donbass, that we can never accept this is a fait accompli, that we can never accept that this is now part of Russia. And so that language was, was not included in, in the local government statement, and that's what we took issue with. All right. Tony Clement, thanks for the time today. Tony Clement, foreign affairs critic for the Conservative Party of Canada. Thank you.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Really looking forward to my conversation just after 8 o'clock with RCR veteran, Ottawa City Councillor Jody Middick. He's the author of Unflinching, The Making of a Canadian Sniper. I may have my copy with me in the studio. I haven't met Jody yet. So looking forward to this because he was the subject of, um, I don't know if it's a column, a news story, a hit piece, whatever you want to call it, in the Ottawa Sun today that took him to task for daring to tweet out a photo of two new pistols that he purchased. His and her pistols for him and his wife. Day at the range, that's love. Uh, If you're into shooting, it absolutely is. But Sue Shering in the Ottawa Sun, and by the way, I invited Sue Shering on to talk and discuss the column. She didn't even reply to my emails. I've known Sue for a long time. Apparently she has problems with me now, refuses to come on or email back or give any explanation. But when other people have booked her and I've been on, she just cancels. I don't know what the problem is, but... That's for her, not for me. I asked her to, let's talk about it. She doesn't want to. It was a hit piece claiming that Councillor Middick had bad taste because, well, there's just been a shooting in the city. There's just been a murder. Why are you posting pictures of your guns? Well, law-abiding gun owners have nothing to do with gangsters shooting each other up. So Jody Middick's going to come in, and we're going to sit in studio and sit and gab for a while, about the way that law-abiding gun owners are treated, because if you understand what you have to do to get a gun license, even someone like Jody Middick, who is a 20-year veteran of the armed forces, a sniper in one RCR, who served in Bosnia and Afghanistan, and I, I don't know everywhere else, we'll get into that, even he has to go and take the gun safety course. And then you have to have your background check done. And then you have to wait, and then you have to have a piece of paper, and then you have to, uh, the hoops that you have to go through, and they're only going to get worse to be a law-abiding gun owner. We'll get into that just after the 8 o'clock hour. I'm not a gun owner, but I support gun owners because, as I will explain to you, they are unfairly treated in this country. They are treated too often like pariahs, and it is a question of fundamental justice. We would not do this to anyone else. Earlier today, this is the part of the program where where we bring you an interview, a must-hear interview from elsewhere in the show, elsewhere on the station. Earlier today, my friend Bill Carroll on the Morning Rush was speaking with another friend of mine, Michelle Junokatsuya from the Northgate Group. He is a former CSUS operative. Last night, we talked to Phil Gursky about the terrorist attack in Toronto and how this is a pattern of attacking Canadian Forces personnel. Well, Bill was talking to Junokatsuya about something else, the fact that the RCMP, where Michelle also served, the RCMP no longer has enough officers to deal with the rise in terrorism and radicalization cases. If it looks like a jihadi terrorist attack and it smells like one, can we just call it that? It does have all the all the markings of it. And uh, with that story breaking yesterday afternoon, at the same time, the RCMP, in its plans and priorities report for the coming fiscal year, uh, says that it it's short-staffed. It, we just don't have enough Maudis working counterterrorism to meet the crush of cases that we have right now. To talk about those issues, 
We have joining us right now uh, a guy I've interviewed before, actually, but I know he's a go-to guy on this show over the years. Security expert Michel Junot Katsuya. He is a former CSIS guy, president and CEO of the Northgate Group, and author of Nest of Spies, The Startling Truth About Foreign Agents at Work Within Canada's Border. Your take on what happened in Toronto first, Michel, if you have one? Good morning, Bill. Well, you said it. If it walks like a cat, it sings like a cat, well, it is a cat, and let's call it this way. And unfortunately, I understand that the, 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 there, there will be a difficult line to sort of uh, uh, understand or demarcation between somebody who wants to maybe a criminal action, somebody who might be mentally uh, uh, deranged or sick. But here at this point, <clears throat> we cannot underestimate the influence also that the Daesh has on a lot of people. And it will reach out to also people that might be into this gray zone of, of, of mental illness as well. Uh, we don't know. But well, I think Daesh, as you called it, or ISIS or ISIL, all the same people, uh, I think they part of what they do is exploit people who are weak Absolutely. of mind or mentally ill or easily influenced. And, and that's that, that would, they would consider they this a big, these, big success. Yep, they prey on these people. Absolutely. And, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, the action that will be uh, done on their behalf uh, will have exactly the same effect of sending this wave of insecurity into the population. So they must be counted as. Now, you still have your ear to ground in the intelligence community. When you hear that the number of Mounties on counterterrorism duty is insufficient, do you buy it? I know, and I ask only because last March, the RCMP commissioner told a comments committee that it's not a shortage of people. Maybe some of them are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but there is enough manpower there. What are you hearing? Well, I think I think the, your intro your intro piece is exactly sort of uh, appropriate to, to talk about this second topic because I agree. I agree, and and I will go even further. We could have one Monty per terrorist that we identified. We still would not have enough people because the nature of terrorism is that they have the upper hand. While we are watching or discovering one guy, we are, uh, we, we are not aware of the two, three, four, or five guys that are currently in the process of being recruited. Um, the comments of, of the commissioner comes on the heel uh, of the uh, uh, comments made by the director of CSUS, Michel Coulomb, two weeks ago, who came in front of the Senate committee and said there is 180 guys who left the country. 60 guys have come back, and 100 are known to be in the process of being uh, 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 radicalized. And that is what we know. And already, CSIS was saying, <clears throat> we don't have the capacity to investigate all those guys. And now the RCMP is coming. We How did they even the get back? Right, you, so you're talking about people guys. who went overseas and waged jihad, and then they're back in Canada. I thought we were, we were set up to try to prevent them from returning. Problem that we have is that we can, we can be aware of those guys coming back, but we're not capable to prevent them to come back because next step when they come back would be to be capable to arrest them, bring them. Well, to well hold on, though. I don't. I, I still don't understand. I mean, I can't come back from a vacation in Florida without the government knowing that I came back into the country. How do they come back? Well, they come back through the front door. 
they cannot be stopped to come back from the front door because because we have no proof that they were engaged in any kind of terrorist activity. Exactly, we need to be capable to go to to arrest them and to go to court and to prove without any reasonable doubt that these guys have committed an offense, which is to support ISIS. But if they've been out of the country, don't we have enough suspicion at least to hold them immediately and and, uh, conduct a thorough investigation? No, because it's not it's not wrong or to to go out of the country what it's what you need to demonstrate and that is the difference with this young fellow that we just arrested in Gatineau he wanted to leave but we knew he wanted to leave to go and and, and meet with ISIS and that is against the law <laughs> the other guys we're not certain they went to 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 meet with those guys we believe so we we sort of have a certain amount of evidence but apparently not enough according to the crown prosecutors so because of that these guys are currently walking the street. Uh, we try to to, to uh, keep monitoring on them as much as possible, but it's extremely expensive. And like I said, this is only the tip of the iceberg that we know. <clears throat> we don't know what is below the the line of, of and, and the waterline, and we don't know exactly what is currently happening. And what I'm lacking, what I'm what I don't see here, is I don't see the leadership and the stewardship from coming from the government focusing on the prevention element and focusing on the to de-radicalize those guys. Until we focus on those portion, we are only chasing our tail. Thank you, Michel. Always a pleasure, Bill. Cheers. Michel Junot Katsuya, former CSIS uh, officer, president and CEO of the, North, uh, the Northgate Group, our go-to guy on uh, these issues. Kind of scary when you think about it, isn't it? Bill Carroll with Michelle Junokatsuya earlier. This is Beyond the News. I'm Brian Lilly. City Councilor Jody Middick, CF vet, gun owner, standing by to talk about gun owners treated like pariahs and why that is wrong. Don't go away. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Is it fair to link law-abiding gun owners with crime? If you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know that the answer is no. But that is what my former son colleague, Sue Sharing, did in a column today. Because she writes, just days after a shooting death on Jasmine Crescent, the third killing on that street in less than a year. The other two were stabbings, by the way. In his counselor, Jody Middick was tweeting about buying guns. Perhaps not the most sensitive of timing. And then she quotes from his tweet where he says he got two six-hour uh, P320s. We'll get into what those are in a minute. But then... Sharing goes on to speak to Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordalo, the head of the Police Services Committee, Eli L. Shantiri. And to me, it is this is an example of linking law-abiding gun owners to something that they have nothing to do with, which is crime. So I'm honored that Jody Minnick has agreed to come in and talk. And what we're going to talk about is not so much Sue's column, but I will ask you off the top how you felt when you read it. But right. I, I want to talk to you about this perception that some people have that's just, well, you're part of the problem of, of gun crime out there. Right. But first, how did you feel when you saw Sue's column? Um, well, I'll start. Good to meet you, Brian. We've never met before. Uh, so thanks for having me on the show. And um, this, you know, Sue's written about me in the past. And it's not, you know, I usually take it on the chin and 
and and try and you know roll with it. But this one I felt was a lot more. Um, well, look, I, I'm a political journalist, and if there's a story about a policy, yeah, sometimes you're going to like what I say, and sometimes not. Right. Yo, I listen to you. This, I often disagree with you. This, but this is linking you to something you have nothing to do yeah, with. Yeah. So I. Her implication, or this, or the the headlines implication, or the article, you know, whether she meant to or not, it's Jody's a bad leader because he's a gun owner. Mm-hmm. That's what I took out of it. That's what I showed it to a few people before I posted it. My wife and a couple of my friends that are shooters, and and you know, and it was it, it's a little bit insulting to legal gun owners that you know because a criminal does something, it means that anyone with a gun is bad. Well, no, you know, I had to, despite my 20 years of training, I had to go through the exact same test any Canadian has to go to to be allowed to carry, to not carry, but allowed to purchase. Well, and if, if you have pistols, then you have the RPAL, the Restricted the rest- Possession and Acquisition and, License. And then I had to go through the restricted testing to be shown that That's I'm competent. two and a half boring days of classroom and yeah. test work. Yeah. I've been through it. It's, yeah. it's not exciting. Well, no, but it's... It's meant to take a complete novice and turn them into someone that we can probably trust with a, with a weapon. Mm-hmm. And I have zero issue with it. I think, hey, you know, me and my, you know, my special operations buddies and my army buddies and my police buddies, we all kind of roll our eyes like, yeah, us too. But yeah, us too. And, it, and I have zero issue with it. I, I, you know, I, know I it, only have an issue with the fact that it, it's boring. Yeah, Not yeah, that it has yeah. to be done. I think it they is a little make boring. it more interesting. But, but but you're, you you had to go through that same exact same ordeal. process. Yeah. So it, it's two and a half to three days. Yeah. And then you, what's the paperwork like to get your gun license? Well, you, despite your twenty years, you got to fill out all the right pieces of paper. The RCMP sends you. The RCMP does a background check. They call your references. Um, you know, they make sure that you don't have any mental health issues. There's no criminal issues from your past that could interfere. Um, so, you know, like it's a it's a thorough check, you know, the, I think I believe it's called the Canadian Firearms Program and it's run by the RCMP. It's very yep. thorough. And at the end of it, you either get your card or you get it denied. And I know people that have been denied uh, people that you would have thought would have got their license. And uh, they, they can call your wife. And if she says, mm, actually, I'm a little worried about yeah. him. Yeah. Well, they'll they, deny you. There's a yeah, there's a spousal clause. If you and it's not just wife or husband, it's you know, it's wife or husband. Yeah. If there's an issue. Uh, that they feel you shouldn't have one, they can say, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with my ex-spouse or my spouse having a weapon. Yeah, right. and, and if you're divorced or separated yeah. or anything, that has to all be included. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I know people that have had to wait for the wait, I believe it's a two-year waiting period, before they were allowed to get their uh, uh, guns without their ex-spouse's uh, say. So I bring all that up yeah. just to say, it's not easy to be a gun owner in Canada, a law-abiding gun owner right, in right. Canada. It's yeah. probably easier to be, you know, a criminal gun owner. It's way easier, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, I haven't tried myself. There's no storage rules for them. They keep them in their pants. You know, I got to keep mine in a, in a specifically designed and approved locker in a specifically out-of-the-way part of the house. You know, it has to be, everything has to be locked. You got to have the ammunition separate. Ammunition separate, you know, triggers locked. Uh, restricted weapons have to be locked again inside the locked uh, receptacle. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I, and I I agree with all that. Even the registry that the conservative government got rid of, I had no issue with. You know, you need to get a license and a, li- and a license plate on your car. Maybe it should be the same for guns. Okay. Now, you and I would disagree on that, and that's another story, but yeah. let's talk about this issue of how law-abiding gun owners are perceived. Right. I think I don't think it's everyone in Canada. No. But obviously, the police chief and counselor 
Chantiri yeah. and, um, and, and Sue Sharing all had this idea that you were being insensitive by tweeting it out, right. uh, tweeting out a picture of your new purchase. Right. Do you think it's just that there is not, in the United States, guns are much more prevalent? Mm-hmm. They're still controversial, but they're much more prevalent yeah. and so um, in some circles more accept, accepted. Do you think that people in this country, despite there being literally millions of gun owners, that they're just not exposed to it and therefore have um, a fear or an apprehension? Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't blame them. I mean, it's guns can be pretty scary, you know. Um, if you're if you're an experienced guy on the range with a first day private. You're a little nervous. <laughs> but well, I, uh, I don't know what your range safety officers were like in the military, but right. my, mine were all nasty old guys with a, a sidearm that warned us, you yeah. do something wrong, I'll shoot you and kill you. Yeah. Well, they, I, I, they I weren't that they all, bad, but they carried I think big they all sticks. Had, they all had came out of central casting, the guys yeah, that I yeah. dealt with. I'll shoot you <laughs> and I'll kill you. And, and, and you're sitting there thinking, yeah, he will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That I've never been to a range that extreme, but they, um, you know, the... The lack of exposure, I can understand, but you know, uh, this one and my dad, you know, he's he's a you know he's an old farm guy, and he called me and he says, you know, nobody else is talking about this. Why should you be? And I said, well, why shouldn't I? You know, I went through all the steps and I and I got my I got my weapons legally and to, and I I've said this a few times, so people may have already heard it. A, a, a pistol to me is like a hammer to a carpenter. It's a tool of the trade, mm-hmm. you know. And I used to, and I carried them for twenty years. And and I enjoy them, and I have fun with them, and I am tra- training my daughters to be responsible gun owners as well, because I don't want them. Even if they decide to never own a gun in their life, they're not going to be scared of them. You know, they're going to understand what they're for. All right, yeah, I, and I think that's important. Let's get more into that when we come back. I'm Brian Lilly on Beyond the News, sitting with Ottawa City Councillor and 20-year CF vet Jody Medic, who's also the author of Unflinching: yep. The Making of a Canadian Sniper. That's you can right. buy it at all good bookstores. Back after this. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Sitting with Ottawa City Councillor Jody Medic. Uh, you were in, let's talk a little bit before we get into uh, building a healthy respect for firearms so right. that people aren't scared of them. You were in the Canadian Forces. Tell me a little bit about that. You were in one RCR? Yes, sir. Uh, I joined the Royal Re- Canadian Regiment. Royal Canadian Regiment in 1997. In 94, I joined the local reserves in Brampton, though. It was called the Lawrence Scots. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, just retired the summer of 14. You know, um, wounded, obviously, in 2007 uh, pretty badly, but uh, managed to survive. And my wife also has 23 years of service to to our country. Oh, thank you. And both. her dad was in the RCR. So really, I always say Alana was drafted at birth. <laughs> so <laughs> She didn't have a choice, did yeah. she? Was she RCR as well? She, well, she was a medic. Medic. But okay. her dad was uh, uh, one of the airborne commandos back in the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was a bitty, he was a little tiny crazy Irishman. Yeah. Legend. He's legend in the RCR. Legend. Among, amongst, Wait for it. Yeah. There. <laughs> so the military is a different view of guns than civilian gun owners. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember I was in the reserves myself and I remember first day in, in class when we're handling firearms, the sergeant saying, what is this for? And everyone's giving all kinds of answers. And he says, no, this is to kill. Right. And this is why you have to handle it carefully. Right. 
that's not how civilian guys, that's not how target shooters view it. Right. To them, it's a recreational tool. Yeah. And because they have different purposes. You used the, the hammer analogy. Right. It It's a tool for a different purpose when you're shooting it. But I, I think you still need to, to have an understanding. Do you think exposure brings about that understanding? Because I, I have a, a healthy respect for firearms because I've been around them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and that's why I'm raising, like I said, whether or not Alana, or sorry, whether or not my girls, um, Alana's my wife, whether or not my girls, Ayla and Kira, decide to be gun owners when they're adults, they're not going to be scared of them, right? Whenever, I, whenever I'm cleaning the weapons or, or, or maintaining them, I'll ask, what's the first thing you do if you see a weapon laying around? And the answer is, go get an adult, right? Good. And 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 then once they're a little bit older, because there's you know I've had them at the range, they they shoot as well when they when you know, but it's this is how you check and make sure it's not loaded. This is how you keep it if you're not shooting it, you keep it open. Like there's all these rules around it, and that's respectful, you know, uh, safe gun ownership and, and usage. You know, like I, they, it's for recreational purposes, right? You know, we all know what guns can do. You know, we all know what cars can do and knives can do and but that's if you use them the wrong way. Right? It, it, it's like I'm teaching my boy to, to cut onions with a knife. <laughs> I, you know, you yeah. use that sharp knife wrong, your fingers are gone. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, it's 100%. You know, I've had several members of my family killed by drunk drivers, but, you know, I don't blame the cars, right? It's the drivers that are bad. Mm-hmm. Same thing at Jasmine Crescent. Hey, man, I, you know, I feel bad for the victims, but, you know, criminals are the ones shooting the guns, not, not law-abiding registered owners you know and and to say that that someone's a bad leader because they're a gun owner i think is a is a real stretch i think you should take some of your city council uh colleagues out to the range for a day you know we keep talking about it some of the more uh willing to to talk about that are are definitely into it you know it's just they, they but trying do, to they tr- do a whole day for mps yes and i want to join that but you know hurting politicians is like hurting cats frankly <laughs> i'm no better get don't get me wrong my staff is run ragged trying to keep up with my schedule we're always on to something doing something so one day maybe we'll be able to get a couple of us out there because i think it's important you know these are citizens as well you know my ward innis ward very there's a lot of retired military current military rcmp current rcmp uh, ops um you know there's a there's a very strong representation of that in my ward but there's also thousands upon thousands of law-abiding gun owners in the city yeah and too often, people, I think, associate a gun owner. Well, yeah, the farmers and the duck hunters. Mm. No, there's target shooters all over the place. Yeah. There's a gun range at the RA Center, for goodness yeah, sake, yeah. in the middle of the city. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a fun sport, and it's what it is if, if that's the way you want to look at it. You know, mm-hmm. like some people, of course, will take a baseball bat and do bad things with it. But it's still a, it's still a tool for the game of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of... Um, in terms of uh, exposing more people, mm. um, you know, I, I guess it's a bit like ethnic outreach or different communities. We've got all these different communities, right? And politicians want to go to the events. Yeah, that's how that's how I would sell it to to other politicians, right? Yeah. What was your day like at the range? I know you uh, you tweeted out today because <laughs> you're an irresponsible politician yeah. you tweeted that you're going to the range <laughs> how was it shooting it's the the six hour 320 i've it's, never fired it's, that it's a new pistol by six hour it's a multi-caliber platform so that means it's basically the only serialized part is the trigger group and uh you can take the trigger out of the frame 
and put it into a new frame, and now you have a different caliber. So the ones okay. today were nine millimeters. So tomorrow I could go and shoot forty-five. If you don't know anything about guns, yeah. you're not going to know what I'm saying. But but uh, no, I think most people know that there's different types of bullets. Yeah, different sizes, in. different size bullets. Um, I, I've heard of that as uh, a gun maker. It starts with a K, a European maker that uh, that came out with that, and someone was trying to convince me to get one a little while ago. I can't remember, but this will shoot forty-fives, nine right. millimeters, uh, and what else? Probably forty cal. Forty it's cal pretty, is pretty well. standard. Yeah, and, and and that all comes in the same package you got. Well, that the package cool. I got is nine millimeter. The f- the other packages have to come in, but it's basically like I said, you just take out the trigger and you put it into a new frame, and now you have a forty five. What's the best part about um, target shooting? I get to blow off a lot of steam, frankly, you know. And today was just a fluke. I wasn't, I didn't go to the range because uh, the article. I was going to the range anyway. It just was a great fluke that it was happening, and and I get to go there, hang out with some current and former. Um, you know, military people, mm-hmm. you know, my, Atlanta calls it my soldier time. Every now and then I need a little soldier time. I need to be around guys like me. And it's very, it's very good for me. I get to blow off some steam. I get to, uh, practice what I used to do for a living and I'm terrible at it now, but, uh, you know, I, I like to, oh, come on. You used to be a sniper. It says yeah, so well, on the cover of your book. Yeah, but sniper rifles and pistols are, it's the same, but it's very different. You know, I, today so I got some coaching. You don't shoot rifles as well? They're expensive to shoot. Yeah, no, I don't have a sniper rifle at home yet, you know. Um, but I don't mean a sniper rifle. Well, no, I, I want to get any, one. Any rifle can actually be a sniper Touché. rifle. I was just talking about that today, actually. There you it's go. not the gun, it's the uh, shooter. Yeah. Um, like, because I, 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 next I plan to get, to get into hunting. You know, I've decided that I want to have all um, meat in the house that I, that I kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, I've been doing some research and, you know, we've all seen cowspiracy and all those things. And I think there's something to be said about the industrial meat process, but at the same time, how do you feed 400 million people? Well, I got to right? hook you up with the Beasley brothers from Canada and the rough then. Oh yeah? Yeah. No, I'd love to. They're friends of mine and they do one of the most beautifully shot hunting shows yeah, yeah. in the country. And I'd love uh, to. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, you, you know, I want to start, you know, small, maybe a deer and we'll work my way up. But so that's where I'm going to look at a rifle that I guess like a sniper type rifle would be for hunting, but maybe a bow as well. Like, you know, like I said, these things are, they're fun, but they're also tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you the last question. You're, um, by the way, my, uh, my boys looked at the cover of the book and said, that looks like Chris Kyle. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Chris Kyle was a handsome fella. He was. Yeah. But you got a beard in this picture, sure and you're do. in uniform. Yeah. Explain. We got a minute. Explain. Well, you know, uh, our priorities shifted in Afghanistan <laughs> from shaving to operating, and we went. Uh, you know, that was taken after a two week operation where we were chasing a group of Taliban uh, that were constantly attacking one of our outposts, and we managed to find them. And but uh, I rocked a beard. I've rocked a beard since way before they were cool, uh, because I get the the badge razor burn. Yeah. So I was allowed to have a beard for quite a while, and then in Afghanistan, I exploited it to its utmost and had just the <laughs> best, awesome, most tactical beard ever. And uh, that's one of my favorite pictures of me because I look I look pretty pretty badass in that picture. Yeah, you, you do. Like a certain defense minister. Yeah, 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 ex- yeah. Exactly. All right. I'm, I've been speaking with uh, with Jody Medic. He is an Ottawa City Councillor, CFET, and his book is Unflinching: The Making of a Canadian Sniper. Thanks for coming in, my friend. Hey, man. I really appreciate this. Thanks so much. Anytime. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. One of my go-to guys for issues related to firearms, and yes, I'm on this topic still after a half hour with Jody Medic. I'm on this topic still because I think gun owners are far too often treated in an unfair manner. And I think that's what's going on with Councillor Middick and the hit job done on him in the sun. By the way, my friend Solomon Friedman, lawyer here in town, has a piece out in tomorrow's sun that, um, that corrects the record, I would say. I'll tweet that out later on. But one of my go-to people on all matters related to firearms is Tony Bernardo. He is with the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. He's a man that... Um, Knows the legislation inside and out, knows the culture inside and out, knows firearms inside and out because he's been shooting for I won't say how many years. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm taking you away from a big event. You are at today. Are you still there? It's the Toronto International Sportsman Show. That's right. And uh, it's a wonderful event with uh, tens of thousands of people going through and uh, enjoying their appreciation for outdoors activities. I have had the pleasure of being there the last few years. Uh, I was there last year, uh, the year before. I think I think I spent three years there. It is fantastic. I mean, I got to try yep. fly fishing out there. Uh, you don't get to try guns out there, but you get to see a lot of them. All the dealers are there. Um, mm. They had last year, the year before, they had axe throwing. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Great. Got to tell yeah. you, Tony, you you, you got to do these things with a media camera in tow. They let you try anything. I'm amazed they didn't let they me. Will. I'm amazed they didn't let me shoot a bullet down the middle of the 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 hallway. But that would be against the law. So yeah, I'm not amazed that they didn't, Brian, because of course, <laughs> as you know, we have a long-standing culture of safety, and I'm sure that they would have never let you do that. <laughs> okay, let let's talk about that. Um, I was on with, with Councillor Medic earlier, and we, we heard his point of view. I want to ask you about this idea, that if you're a gun owner, you should never tell people you're a gun owner because that wouldn't be safe. You are the head of the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. What would you tell your—how many members do you guys have? Tens of thousands? Oh, tens of thousands. What, now, what yeah. would you tell the members? Should they never post a picture on social media? Should they never tell their friends? Because— that's essentially what the chief and the, the other city councillor and the Ottawa Sun uh, columnist were saying. Well, I mean, lots of our members post pictures on social media. It doesn't mean anything. You know, the fact of the matter is that the, 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 the city should be ashamed of themselves. There are two million, million lawful Canadians that own firearms. These people are so clean they squeak or they wouldn't be given a shooting license, right? The firearms license is predicated on good character, no criminal record, no chance of anything bad happening. You're checked out every which way but Sunday. These are the safest Canadians there are. Statistically, they have one-third as likely a chance of committing a violent act as a non-firearms owner. Wow. That's pretty impressive. It is. The city should be appalled by this. I mean— to, 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 well, to it's not in fairness. It, in fairness, it's not the whole city. It was one councillor no. on the police services board, and who who I like and get along with on many issues. I happen to think he's wrong on this, and the police chief. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know the the, the councillor in, in question here who 
who uh, got his firearms license and his new firearm. I mean, for for crying out loud, this man is doing everything wow. legally, everything right. And, and and he says he's a bad shot now with the with the <laughs> pistols he's firing. But as I said to him, the the name of your book is Unflinching: The Making of a Canadian Sniper. I'm betting his version of bad shot is different than mine. Uh, Tony. Yeah. I said to to Jody when he was on that I think more mm-hmm. people need to have exposure. It is a lot of fun going to the range. It and really is. I, I've been out with a lot of your members at different events. I just got an invite last night while it was on the radio. Before I even knew I was talking about this, uh, I got an invite to go out to the range. Gun owners are, are very excited to to share their passion. What if people want to find out more? About, well, you know, what can they find out from the CSSA? How can they try this out without committing to three days on a boring gun course and a severe background check? Well, there, there's a lot of uh, ranges that will allow visitors. Um, certainly, you can go on to most ranges, say, hey, I'm just here to check it out. And they'll even take you out on the firing line one-on-one and, and let you shoot a small caliber firearm. Um, There are some public ranges where you can actually go and rent firearms. In Canada? Absolutely. I didn't know that. Yeah, there sure are. I'll have to find out if any of them are in the Ottawa area. My gun friends, if they are, email me beyondthenewscfra.com. Okay. And and from CSSA, you can find out how you can get your license, uh, where you can get your license. We can point you in the right direction, and we can get you started safely. I can tell you one of the craziest things I did was uh, on the air one time I said, I'm thinking about getting something. Uh, What should I get? I never got so many uh, different and varying uh, endorsements of of firearms, everything under the sun. But let me ask you, what would you recommend for someone that is, hmm, they've got a curiosity. uh, what What do you recommend they start out trying? that is easy to handle and is fun to shoot of course the 22 okay there, there's just nothing better to start out with it's, and it's 22 rifle sure sure and if people are interested in pistol shooting then a 22 pistol for sure um it's accurate it's quiet it doesn't kick hard and it's very very accurate wonderful firearm okay what do you need to know about getting your your license what should uh, if people are interested in that well, it, it depends on which license you want. A non-restricted firearm is one-day course. A restricted firearm is a two-day course. The courses are informative, interesting, and uh, relatively easy to do. And then after that, you have your, your normal application, police background checks and stuff. And after all that's done, you get your license. It takes uh, anywhere from three months to four months for the begin the process to end it. Okay. And uh, and the the non restricted license that allows you to go hunting to go to a shooting range. You just can't get a pistol, right? That's correct. Well, well a pistol get... and certain types of rifles. Yeah, certain types of rifles and shotguns that would be restricted uh, firearms. So it's a restricted and a non restricted license. Those are the two halves. Okay. Lastly, about this, this um, mm-hmm. one of the ideas put forward was if you tweet out the uh, firearms, then your house can be targeted and people will steal your guns. First off, that's a crime. Uh, yes. So the person's, <laughs> it is. the person's already committing a crime and stopping criminals from committing crimes is difficult, as any police officer will tell you. But the fact is, if you do have firearms in your home, 
they have to be locked up and, and stored in a certain way. That's correct. Fill me in a, on that. A, well, I mean, a, a long gun uh, has to be A, trigger locked, or B, disassembled, or C, stored in a vault or a safe or a room designed or modified for the safe storage of firearms. That's the letter of the law. Uh, a handgun requires a second layer of security. For example, if you stored a, your handgun in a locked box, it also has to have a trigger lock on it, too. Um, you can store them without the trigger lock, but only in a vault, a safe, or a room specifically designed or modified for the safe storage of firearms. So there's there's definitely lots and lots of safe storage precautions that we go through. And, you know, quite frankly, our community was doing this many, many years before the government made it law. All right. Tony Bernardo with the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Uh, I'll let you get back to the best sportsman show in Canada and uh, enjoy your time there. Let me just say I'm jealous. Uh, Brian, I wish you were here. We miss you this year. All right. Thanks for joining me. Uh, and care. as I'm talking to Tony, I'm, I'm watching CTV News Channel, and they're showing the uh, the pictures of Mr. Ali, who walked into a Canadian Armed Forces recruitment center and started stabbing people. No, Never calls for greater knife control, is there? I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You have thoughts on what we've been talking about for the last hour, thoughts that we're talking about on the show at all, it's easy to get a hold of me. It is beyondthenews at cfra.com. Beyondthenews at cfra.com. Or you can also comment on Facebook posted the the story and the links on facebook.com on the CFRA site and on uh, on my own invite you to uh, to join the conversation there let me know what you think you want to tweet at me it's easy at Brian Lilly excuse me drinking coca-cola in the ad break apparently not the best idea but um, that's the kind of pro I am I'm willing to drink the coke for you uh just want to go through a few headlines over the next little while and we'll be opening up the um uh, the phone lines after the top of the hour, of course, but uh, just some odd stories that are out there beyond the the Jody Mitic one. There's a stabbing, and you heard about it all day on the uh, the news here at CFRA, a stabbing near the tent village in Gatineau. The three murders that happened at Jasmine Crescent, two of them were stabbings. The attack on the Canadian Forces base? Stabbing. Where are the calls for knife control? Why are gun owners, and I'm sorry to be on this topic, but I just happen to be looking at uh, at the headlines, man charged with attempted murder after stabbing. Where are the calls for knife control? Do you know that more people are murdered with knives in an average year than guns? I say you deal with the person, not the tool. Because it is the person with the intent to cause harm that is the issue. A knife or a gun on their own cannot hurt you. 
you put a knife and a gun side by side on a table, you just lay them down, they're not going to hurt anyone. It's if someone picks them up and uses them incorrectly. The other story I wanted to bring to your attention is one that has nothing to do with politics and nothing to do with guns. I can't believe this. Reading it on the Ottawa Sun right now. Olivia Wilde, too old to play Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. If you don't know Olivia Wilde, just do a Google image search. Make sure the safe image search is on, especially if you're at work. Olivia Wilde is 32 and beautiful. She's one of the most beautiful actors, actresses in Hollywood. 32 years old. She wanted to land the part of DiCaprio's wife in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street. But let me read to you from the story. She lost out on Margot Robbie's role in The Wolf of Wall Street because she was considered too old. The Tron legacy star, now 32, was hoping to score the part in DiCaprio's partner in the 2013 financial drama, but was considered unsuitable to be cast opposite the 41-year-old actor, So the role went to an Australian newcomer who's now 25. Her agent didn't tell her what was going on because she, well, didn't want to hurt her feelings. Sometimes I roll my eyes at claims that are made about sexism because I think some of it's trumped up, like the the idea of women being paid 70 cents on the dollar. That is demonstrably not true, especially coming from someone like Smokey Thomas at Opsu where Everyone makes on the same union grid. And anyone that does pay a woman less, well, they're a fool and you don't want to work for them. So sometimes I roll my eyes, but it's stories like this that I go, yeah, this is ridiculous. A woman who is nine years younger than the actor is considered too old to play his wife. How many times have you been watching the movies and you're looking at the the couple and you just think, um, yeah, that never, that's never going to happen. I think back to, um, this is going back several years now, but uh, Entrapment. It was a movie that, that starred Sean Connery, well into his 60s, if not his 70s at that point. And the love interest for him was a much younger, and I mean even much younger than today, because this movie is at least 10, 12 years old, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Now, I know in real life she's dating Michael Douglas and has been with him for a long time. But Sean Connery's even older, and, and that, that goes beyond May-December romance. That is truly bizarre and likely unbelievable. But then again, maybe not, because here we are. We're told that Olivia Wilde lost out on a role to play Leonardo DiCaprio's wife because she was considered too old. She is a young, beautiful, fresh-faced 32. Go check her out and uh, and email me what you think. Beyond the news at CFRA.com. By the way, I did ask about uh, if anyone had info on gun ranges near Ottawa that um, that do allow for rentals, and I'm told by Mark that there are no such options in Uh, the Ottawa area, the closest is Target Sports Canada outside of Toronto. But, of course, if you go to Vegas, you know that that can happen. Mark also writes, as a licensed gun owner, I'm incensed by Sharon's ill-informed article. She had to reach but managed to equate 
uh, law-abiding gun owner with future crime. Orwell would be pleased. Please take this opportunity to advise sharing to write an article advising women not to tweet pictures of themselves in bikinis as that would be inviting rapists to target them. I get what you're getting at. She would definitely disagree with you on that, Mark, uh, because it's a crazy assertion. But I think that's your point. I think that is completely your point. That would never happen. We would not say that. But gun owners are allowed to be treated differently. And uh, Brian writes in, uh, you're talking about your home being a target. If it becomes known that you're a firearms, this is likely true enough. What few of the general public media realize is that Section 98 of the Criminal Code says breaking and entering with the intent or while breaking and entering you steal a firearm, you are liable for a sentence of up to life in prison. Just a point of interest. Hmm. Brian doesn't want his full name used because uh, he doesn't want to be targeted. Uh, are you really going to steal, break in to steal guns from a guy who is known as a sniper? A guy who's known as a badass military guy because you found out that, that he has guns? Probably not. Probably not. Now, look, I, I agree with one thing that Counselor Eli El Shantiri said in the piece. Well, you don't tell people while you're away from home. True enough. True enough. Most of us will not say, uh, hey, I'm going away and my house is going to be empty for a few days. But telling people you have a gun is not an invite to become a target of crime. No more than saying, look at my shiny new car. People live on social media now, for good or for bad. People live on social media. And saying that admitting that you own something invite you to be a target of crime is ridiculous. If that were the case, we would all just walk around in gray clothes. We would all wear matching gray overalls. We would uh, paint our cars ugly colors after we got them so that they wouldn't be attractive. Um, You know, we wouldn't make our houses look nice. That's not how we live our lives. People like to live their life and show what they have. People like to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Owning a gun and letting people know it is no different. I don't see the point in in stigmatizing gun owners any more than any other part of the community. When we get back, we will change up topics after this. I'm sure that many of you have had enough about guns. But if you want to call in after the 9 o'clock news and uh, have at her with me, for good or for bad, you'll be able to do that. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-2372. You want to get a jump? You can call in now, wait on the line throughout the news, and we will be back after the news at the top of the hour. This is Beyond the News on News Talk Radio 580 CFRA. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Still having trouble believing that Olivia Wilde was considered too old to play Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. is in the 2013 uh, filming of The Wolf of Wall Street. She's 32 right now. Leo's 41. How can she be too old? It's a crazy world in Hollywood. I'm not going to try and understand it. Not now, not ever. 
Um, even though I used to be part of the Hollywood machine, uh, closest I ever got was being uh, an extra on some films, most of which I can't even remember the names of now. Open line, open topic for the next hour. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to call in. I've thrown out a, a few of my topics, including Justin Trudeau at the U.N. Now, I took issue with the Prime Minister and his talking about all the great things that the United Nations does and Canada wants a seat at the United Nations Security Council, but he didn't call for reform. And we really need to reform the United Nations if we want it to be an effective body. Think about this. Canada wants a seat on the Security Council. What is the job of the Security Council? It is to bring about peace and stability in the world. How have they done, let's say, on stopping North Korea from getting the bomb? Uh, they haven't done that yet. What about Iran? That, Iran, hey, they, they came to an agreement. Sure, they fired a ballistic missile last week, but they still have an agreement But again, that wasn't the United Nations. That was the U.S., Russia, and a a small group of countries, not the U.N. So what about um, the the war in Syria? They've done a lot there, haven't they? No, they haven't. The U.N. needs to do something. If we're going to be a part of it, then we need to be pushing for reforming this organization. We need to be willing to say this is a body that needs to be fixed. And so far, we're not doing that. If the role of the UN Security Council is to work on stability and peace in the world, then why is it a US-led coalition that's fighting back against ISIS and has been since the summer of 2014 when ISIS was marching towards Baghdad, Iraq's capital? Why wasn't it the UN? Why is the UN Security Council now balking at the idea of sanctioning Iran for testing ballistic missiles. That's right. Because the United Nations is not a club of the world's democracies looking for the betterment of the world. It just happens to be a club of all the countries in the world, and the Security Council has five of the most powerful as permanent members, or what were five of the most powerful members after the Second World War. Two of them are... Not great friends of democracy. Let's call them China and Russia. Russia is backing Iran. By the way, the UN didn't do much of anything to stop the genocide in Darfur. And they actually told General Romeo Dallaire to stand down while the genocide was happening in Rwanda. He had called into UN headquarters. He was in charge of the international peacekeeping force. He wanted something done. And they told him, no, you cannot intervene. So if Justin Trudeau wants us to be part of the U.N., if he says this is a big thing, then fine. But let's at least use our moral power and our fiscal power, because we're big donors, to push for reform. If you have thoughts on that, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Also want to throw out this. You keep hearing this clip in the news. Justin Trudeau at the UN, he was there to get an award from a women's group, a group called Catalyst. And he was talking about how he's a feminist and he doesn't get why this is a big deal. 
Why does every time I say I'm a feminist, uh, you know, the Twitterverse explodes and uh, news media pick, pick it up? It shouldn't be something uh, that creates a reaction. It simply is saying, I believe in the equality of men and women, and I believe that we still have an awful lot of work to do to get there. Okay, well, I'll shrug. I don't think I've ever talked about you saying you're a feminist. And as for the Twitterverse, I don't understand that whether it's regular people tweeting or members of the media that are part of your fan club. I don't quite understand that, but I will raise this issue. At that same event where Justin Trudeau uttered those words, he said, in, in, in part of pushing his feminist agenda, he said that perhaps we need to be pushing corporations to release details on how many of how many people in the senior positions within the organization are women so that we essentially shame and force them into having women in higher positions? I'm fine with companies having plenty of women in senior positions. As I've said on these airwaves, the two most powerful women at Bell Media or the two most powerful people at Bell Media in terms of the news are women. So that's not an issue. As far as I'm concerned, you want more, you want less, that's fine. My issue is he wants private companies to be required to report this information publicly. That's my issue. It wouldn't be my issue if he wasn't in the middle of repealing the First Nations Accountability Act, which forced bands to reveal how they spend taxpayers' money, and in the middle of repealing the Bill C-377, the bill that required unions to be transparent. I keep saying I want to stop talking about Justin Trudeau. I've said that for a long time, and then he says things that just eat at me. Like being in the middle of repealing two bills for transparency for organizations that get special treatment from government because unions collect billions a year tax-free and First Nations bands are given billions of dollars a year from taxpayers. He doesn't believe in uh, financial transparency for them, but he does want transparency from private corporations. One group he sees as allies, the other he doesn't, even though most of the big companies all support progressive causes like his. You got thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Last topic I'm going to throw out, and it is open line, open topic. You want to go in a different direction, call in, have your say, have at me. We've got a piece up at the rebel.media, and in the ad break, I will post this to Facebook, where I actually have to jump in and defend Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is being threatened with an all-out cyber war by Anonymous. Why? They don't like him. Now, I don't particularly support Donald Trump, tell you that most nights, but he is winning in a very democratic way. He's going state by state and getting people's votes. But Anonymous doesn't like democracy, apparently, and so they want to shut down his ability to communicate online, and they've announced this. That has led to John McAfee. If you've heard of McAfee Antivirus, he's the guy behind that. Very wealthy man, also the Libertarian Party candidate for president in the United States. He's come forward saying he's going to back Trump on this and is offering to help him. You don't protest democracy by shutting democracy down. And that's what Anonymous is doing here. And it's wrong. It should be denounced. 
and I'm willing to stand and defend Donald Trump on this because that is defending democracy. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Back with your calls after this. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. You want to have your say? It's 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Mary in Lowertown, you're on Beyond the News. Good evening, Brian. Uh, first off, may I say I very much enjoy your show. Oh, thank All you. All the shows that I've listened to. Because... Um, not only are you very informative about all the topics you talk about, but the guests that you pick are also so informative. Oh, thank you. Because listening to Jody Middick tonight um, and listening to you talking about registered you know, gun owners and the difference between unrestricted and restricted weapons, it's just sort of like, wow, that's so cool. Uh, you know, it's something that most people don't know because they don't have experience. And so yeah. if, if we're going to talk about it, yeah, why not talk about it in a way that, that informs so that people aren't scared? There's no reason to be scared of law-abiding gun owners. No, and people that write articles don't do their research, obviously, like sharing in today's Ottawa Sun. Um, Unfortunate, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't think she did. And no. you know, I did ask Sue Sharing, and let's make that clear, I did ask her on to talk about this and, and offered her the chance to... Um, to have her say, and she just didn't want to come on. Uh, yeah, actually, I I, uh, she just didn't even respond to me. That, and that's impolite, for one thing. That's lack of courtesy. And, you know, you write something, you should pre- be prepared to back up your opinion and, you know, get someone else a chance, uh, like you, to, you know, just to talk to her. Because you wouldn't have like, raked her over the coals or anything. You would have just... I, I don't know, do that. I disagree. I don't do you that don't do to anyone. Anyway. No. Now, and, Justin Trudeau, and you know how tough I am on Justin Trudeau. He could walk in right now and say, Brian, I want an interview. And you, you'd give it to him and, 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 yeah. and would be polite. We'd be polite. And he actually knows that because we've talked many times uh, back to when I was a local reporter for a Montreal radio station that he needed to know because he wanted local coverage. Mm-hmm. So, and you just not, don't, don't be rude to guests. No, you shouldn't be rude to anybody, period, you know even anybody on the street. And also what you were saying about most crimes in Ottawa in the past while have been committed with knives. And you're right. There's no check on somebody going into a sporting store and buying a hunting knife. Sporting store? And maybe there should be. Going to or a kitchen a store. store. Yeah, a kitchen store, grocery store. Yeah, You ever get a kitchen knife too close to your fingers, Mary? I cut myself with a regular knife. Um, Knife, you know, that you just use for butter, bread and butter knife. <laughs> okay, I, I haven't... an exacto knife, I and I'm not a cutter, just I'm klutzy. I, 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 I haven't done klutzy. that, but on my index finger, <laughs> I do have a, a cut from a knife, so... I, they, You know, they're, they're dangerous things. So, like, as Jody yeah. Middick said, uh, a gun oh, is that, a tool, yeah. and, um, you know, use it with respect. Use all tools with respect. Exactly. If you haven't had a chance to go shooting guns, Mary, I hope you get the chance. Well, the only gun, believe it or not, I've ever shot was years ago, this would have been probably in the 70s, was a pellet gun. And I actually shot and injured a sparrow. And the 
reason I did that was we had a Purple Martin house. And until the Purple Martins established themselves each year, you had to try to discourage sparrows and other birds from nesting in the Purple Martin house. Yeah. And I even tried to save the poor sparrow, but unfortunately, poor no, it was actually a tree swallow. Well, you, 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 do, you do want uh, Purple Martins to show up. They eat the mosquitoes. Thanks yes. for the call, Mary. You're very welcome, Brian. Thank you for your show. It's right. very good. Peter in Ottawa, you are on Beyond the News. Hello, Peter. Yeah, hi, Brian. Yeah, I also like your show. Listen, I'm a little bit confused. Uh, that lots of stories that the Toronto Police Force is actually overstaffed uh, and the crime rate is declining. And uh, there was a senior police officer in the Toronto Force that pointed that out. He was roundly slapped down and roundly criticized by the, the higher echelons. It seems to be a bit of a racket. None of these none of these government institutional organizations are ever, ever satisfied with the money they have. It's always crying, poor me, we need more, more, more. And the money comes well, from one place. And I'm getting really, really sick. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Peter. I was listening to, uh, is it Matt Scoff, head of the police union here? I think his, I think sure. Matt's his first name. Scoff is definitely his last name. And he was on, heard him on the radio this morning, and he was saying, well, you know, we keep being asked to do these things, but uh, the resources aren't there. Whose budget expands pretty much every year? The police force. Yeah. Now, does the money go where it should? Not necessarily, because we've got things like arbitration that keeps pushing up wages to Toronto levels and has retention bonuses that were originally invented to keep officers in Toronto. And why did they keep leaving Toronto and coming to Ottawa? Because it's not as crazy here. But we've yeah. got to pay their the same wages, and and that shrinks the budget. Yeah, and the the thing is too, it's important to pay attention to the crime statistics and the way those are compiled. But in but Toronto, this... uh, the the crime rates have been going down, uh, you know, year after year, and the the number of they keep saying, well, we got to have more officers, more officers. You know, this sounds like a union racket. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit. Like and, a, and let's let... nice. Let, let me correct nice... myself. When I say shrinks the budget, I mean shrinks the budget in terms of making things available. It obviously increases the budget, but you, know, you can't yeah. hire as many officers. So... Yeah, and I, you know, I fully understand that um, with the way things are in Ontario, uh, the, the police are stretched different ways. I mean, if you take the bus in Ottawa, you take it down Rideau Street on a daily basis, there are more and, there are more and more mentally ill people traveling on the buses. They are all over downtown, the downtown core, uh, Rideau Street area. They are increasing, you know, and you got a police officer making a hundred grand a year, and uh, it just seems like it's, it's a never-ending. And they have to deal with a lot of revolving these door. It's a revolving door. They arrest them, you know, they give them a few pills. They're back out in the street. I mean, who wouldn't be cynical about this? Yeah. All right. Thanks for the call, Peter. Going to Duncan in Ottawa. Duncan, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, good evening, Brian. I know this isn't a sports talk show, but I'm I'm interested in this uh, um, you know litigation trial uh, threatening the National Football League. So the NFL admitted that there's a connection between football and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the brain disorder known as CTE. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but but it's my it's my under and I'm not and I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying we should we should uh, I'm not saying we should ban football. I am a, a football fan, but um, 
I think that I it 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 it's uh, it's my understanding that the, this league uh, that the league deliberately concealed this information um, from the players. Uh, what they should have done was 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 uh, um, uh, the, warn the warn the players that uh, um, the the. It is, it is it it is a contact sport, and there are risks. There are well, risks I, th- I think involved, the players such as brain injuries, and uh, I think the players knew it's a contact sport, obviously. But I think they knew there were risks. But um, you know, I should really get Henry Burris on to talk about this, and we'll see if we can do that soon because uh, he's a man who's in his forties now. He's been playing a football a long time, and I don't know if you heard him talking about this a little while ago, Duncan, but he said. Just got to change the way that hits are done, how people are trained, and that can go a long way. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, the, the, um, the, I, I, the, um, I, I have it on good authority that I mean, when you t- when you take up parachute jumping or skydiving, for example, the, 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 um, you're expected to to sign a clause that uh, that. That says, uh, yeah. uh, "We're not, we're, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be held responsible for what, for what happens to you." I mean, that's that's all that that that's, you know, that's all the uh, National there, Football League needed to do. I think it might be a bit more complicated than that, but uh, I do take your point, Duncan. Thanks for the call. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You want to get in on the conversation? 521 Talk, 521 8255. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. And just finishing up a tweet as we speak. Honestly, I haven't even hit send yet. I'll be posting this on Facebook as well. Uh, my old office mate, David Aiken, bureau chief for Sun Media on Parliament Hill, has a piece out that I love the headline. McKay, as in Peter McKay, where in God's name does this prime minister think we've been? Peter McKay, who once upon a time was Canada's foreign affairs minister, was a cabinet minister the entire time of the Harper government, is reacting to Justin Trudeau saying, it's time for Canada to step up once again. McKay says that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Quote, my initial reaction to that was, what a slap in the face to our foreign service and our U.N. staff and personnel who have been based there under our government for almost a decade doing yeoman service on behalf of our country. As Aiken points out, and Aiken is always worth the read. If you don't follow David Aiken, I know he's on the air here sometimes, and uh, he appears in the Ottawa Sun, but follow him online. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, follow him online because he's a straight shooter. David Aiken actually used to be a wild party animal and DJ back in his university days, but now he's pretty darn close to Mr. Rogers when it comes to walking the line, and being a straight arrow. So he points out that, and and I'll read from his piece, while Harper and many conservatives viewed the UN's ability to be an effective player on global security issues with a skeptical eye, they found it to be a valuable organization when it came to refugees and working to reduce global poverty. 
Under Harper, Canada was the second biggest donor to the UN's World Food Aid Program, for example. At the 1G8 summit hosted in Canada on his watch, Harper leveraged a few billion in Canadian donations into billions from the world to improve maternal and child health in developing countries, an initiative that continues to prevent hundreds of thousands of needless deaths each year. Yeah, that's right. Stephen Harper helped save hundreds of thousands of mothers and babies each year as part of the UN's uh, Millennium Development Goals. It's called the Muskoka Initiative. We were the second biggest donor to the World Food Program. We were the second biggest in terms of resettling United Nations refugees. And Justin Trudeau has the gall to go to the UN today and say, Canada's back. Canada's back. Look at me. I'm pretty. Really. It drives me nuts. I really wish I could stop talking about this guy, but he keeps opening his mouth. So you can find that on Twitter, and during the break, I'll post it on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. If you want to have a say on that or any other issue, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Lucy in Centertown, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. I just want to make two quick points. I don't know who wrote the article today, but on the cover of The Sun, I love how they put terrorists, you know, about that attack. Because to me, I feel what that guy did attacking the soldier was. I mean, didn't he say Ally or something um, he, he had talk- ordered him to kill? Yeah, or he said or- Allah told him to go there and kill. Yeah. So I, yeah. I actually didn't see a hard copy of The Sun because I don't often pick up dead tree papers anymore. No, no, but it was just the cover of it. I just thought how... And, and, and they know, were blunt in it? Yeah. Oh, good you for know, them. You know, like, I, I, I did not read the article, but right on the cover, and I, I was really pleased. But what really bothered me about this guy was how they're asking his, def, you know, defense lawyer, how's he feeling? He's mad upset. Excuse me, like, did you not stop to ask the families of these two guys who were, who were you know, let's just say it almost murdered? Did you ask... The people who went there to jump in to help them, how they felt. I mean, we're we're we're, we're wondering how this guy feels, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just like what is going on here? You know, like I thought this is a terrorist attack. What is it they have to investigate? And and no, like like what is wrong here? Let, let's call it what we see it. Well, th- thankfully, you know? yeah, yeah, thankfully the sun is blunt on issues like that, and yes. um, it's one of the things I loved about working for that organization is you could write snappy headlines, you could write, you could be blunt in copy, you could call a terrorist a terrorist. Not all mm-hmm. media organizations let you do that. Yeah. But thankfully, the, the Sun yeah. Media still does. And yeah. uh, the other thing is, I have to say, kudos to Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders for saying terrorism from, what, what's today, Wednesday? So on Monday night, he was calling it terrorism. And yesterday, oh, okay. yesterday he was saying, uh, being up front, because the Toronto Sun had this, and they said, you know, the guy had gone in. He, they had it Monday night and said the guy had mm-hmm. gone in saying Allah told him to do it. Mm-hmm. Saunders confirmed that. A lot of other people would walk away. But as I said last night, you know, we don't need the lecture on Islamophobia. No, no. And one just quick thing. Apparently, so Trudeau gets an word from women. I've been hearing ads on your radio going on about how Kathleen Wynne has made it even harder for women to be paid the same as men and how they're paid 30% less. Like, excuse well, me, that, who, who gave him this award? I don't know if that's correct, but there's an ad well, that, that plays that, on the radio. That's Smokey Thomas, who is with the Ontario Public Service Employees Union. 
And okay. he's claiming that because he's worried that Kathleen Wynne is going to privatize some services. The only thing she's privatizing is Hydro uh, yes. One, I believe yes. it is, to um, to kind of get that off the books, to get mm-hmm. a little bit of money. It's not even a real privatization. It's crony capitalism at its worst. And Smokey is out there. And, uh, I'll, I'll have Smokey on the program soon and let him have his say. But he's out there claiming women will be paid less because he hates the private sector and thinks yeah. that if you're in the private sector, you're obviously going to pay women less. Mm-hmm. So that's which, why you know I couldn't understand that. And anytime he opens his mouth, I mean, I got to talk. I just shake my so head and go. Oh, what do you think geez. of what do you think of Trudeau though going to the UN and saying <sighs> Canada's back? That you know, it's yeah. like everything that the conservatives done. They want to make them look bad. It's like they want to point the finger to them when something's wrong. Which I mean, let's give it up. And yes, Harper did do that. I do remember about that aid and that money to help. You know. Um, mothers and so on and so forth but they try to act as if they did all this bad stuff but now that i'm here you know it's all you know bed and roses and it's great and i just he just well, the the only makes the my only blood boil every time he opens his mouth because excuse me he's an idiot i'm so, i mean <laughs> i'm sorry if i'm saying that and i can't say it on the radio i apologize but i've met a few people that have voted for him and are so sorry and i said i made you know that i made sure not to make that mistake I didn't vote for him. So when someone says, well, careful what you ask for, I quickly point out, I didn't vote for this guy. I didn't vote for the, you know, she was Kathleen McKenna in my area. I didn't vote for her. Thanks for the call, Lucy. Thank you. All right. Um, I I have to say, so far, Catherine McKenna is one of the few uh, in the cabinet that I'm impressed with because she can answer a question. You can disagree with her and you can say she's wrong, and I do, but she can answer a question and she can hold her own. That's not the case with all of them, because I speak to these people, and some of them look at you with doe eyes and don't know what you're talking about when you ask them about the bill they just introduced to Parliament. <sighs> Scary. Guy, the Capital Voice. Hi, good evening, Brian. Just wanted to talk about David Aiken. His Twitter feed is great, too. I love David's Twitter feed because he, he mines a lot of the good tweets from the Hill and then pumps them out. So well, I, I like using him as a mirror. And, and, and he lets you know what's happening. Yeah. So even if you don't care. Yeah. And quick story about David's Twitter feed. David went to Egypt for the, uh, the Arab Spring when it was happening in Tahrir Square. I, do you remember that? All right. So he's there. And at one point, he was actually taken hostage, which is a great story, but we couldn't get in touch with him. He had all his communications taken away, and we didn't know where he was, and there's journalists are under threat of death, and um, a- Aiken's kind of, you know, in the hands of these guys. We don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, his Twitter feed starts going off, and we're like, oh, excellent, David Aiken's alive, good. And then we noticed he was tweeting about a committee on Parliament that was going to start in 15 minutes, and you could watch it on the live link here. He had set up all these tweets to go off in advance. Really? Uh, at the beginning of the week. So we're wondering where he is, and his Twitter feed is saying, watch this House of Commons committee. I didn't know you could do that. Oh, oh yeah. That's hilarious. A- Aiken does. Well, I, I hope I've got a little bit of time here, yeah, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Go nuts, guys. You've got a, you've got a couple of things to, uh, about Zoolander today. I heard at 12.54 when he was standing in front of the U.N. in New York, he actually had the audacity to say, this so-called ISIL group. Did you catch that? Now, I didn't. Now, did he say so-called ISIL or Mm. so-called Islamic State? 
Because uh, yeah, I don't uh, have yes, problems exactly. with it, it, saying yeah. so-called the, the, Islamic the State. The moniker so-called. Like, the whole world is realizes we have something called ISIL. It's on every—does yeah. he not and, watch and, the news? Yes, but here, here's why I don't have a problem. If he said so-called Islamic State, at least he's saying what they call themselves. Okay. Now, the so-called is him saying— I don't accept them as a state, and I don't accept them as Islamic. Okay. That, that to me, saying so-called Islamic state is better than this change that John Kerry is pushing and um, the Toronto Star is enforcing, where their writers can't even use ISIS or so-called Islamic state. They have to call them Daesh, which, by the way, means ISIS in Arabic. Mm-hmm. So it, it means the same thing, but they use it because they don't want to call them Islamic or a state. I just took it as a cocky type of thing. Like, you know, this... It's very common among politicians. Okay. Well, here, I wanted to go into just slightly with regards to uh, the upcoming Police Services Board meeting, Brian, and this push and pull that's going on between uh, Chief Charles and Matt Scoff. Um, we all know what the whole story is with regards to police and salaries. But is anybody going to start asking Chief about 2017 and our 150th birthday? The minute you start talking about privatizing non-police services, for example, the 25 cops that stand at CCC Center directing traffic, or the people that do construction duty, or what they call paid duty for events, you know, security companies can do a lot of this stuff, but the police will have nothing of it because the union will have nothing of it because then basically you have to have a police person there. But, you know, the minute you start talking about, well, let's take some of the resource, let's let's take some of the, the, the pressure off police by maybe we can do this and this and this with private police companies. <gasps> oh, no, we could well, never do that. You know, I find it really, really hypocritical. And if I, I just may finish on yeah, the one go thing, ahead. he spent $400,000 on night visits goggles justifying them because of the Bebo shooting which happened at 10 o'clock in the morning he could have used these night vision goggles for his SWAT team so you know cut the toys Charles and let's look at the exact thing and I think that Matt's you know anyways there's just so much Brian you got to check that meeting out Monday night you should uh, be there well I I can't be there because I'll be on the air but it is live streamed it is live streamed and and we'll be monitoring but let me just say this because I'm up against a commercial break My understanding is, and I, and I agree with privatizing some of these services, but my understanding is some of them are provincially mandated. Like the whole thing about cops having to sit at construction site when they're, when they're doing road work. Mm-hmm. I first saw that in Toronto, and I thought it was the most ridiculous yeah. thing. And then it came to Ottawa. The province makes I them do it. I did not know it. that. Another so, beyond the news. Thing. I love this program, Brian. One final thing. Glenn Foster says hello. That Canadian guy who used to be on, oh, Brian yeah. Lilly, on Sun TV, that Canadian guy is going to be in town. He wants to break bread with you at the Prescott. Well, he sends his best, and he I, says, come on over and catch his show on Thursday or Friday night, because he wants to talk to coming on your show on Friday uh, night will, for a loose one. I will say anyone that wants to go check out a good comedian, check out That Canadian guy, Glenn Foster. Fantastic stand-up. Guy, thanks for the call. This is Beyond the News. I'm Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Guy, the Capitol Voice, was recommending Glenn Foster, who's appearing at Absolute Comedy on Preston Street this week, for a laugh. I completely recommend Glenn Foster. If you want to laugh, go check him out. He's at Absolute Comedy this week. 
um, caught his uh, live show a little while ago. Amazing. Absolutely hilarious. But you know what was just cracking me up was not a, an actual comedian. It was the headline on CTV News ca- Channel. FIFA admits corruption and wants money back. Yeah, good luck with that. Give me a break. Meanwhile, you know what? Um, this is the truth. I've been talking about uh, Prime Minister Bobblehead. I mean, Trudeau, um, also known as Zoolander, for those of you that insist on calling him Zoolander, and the fact that he wants his back. Canada's back at the U.N., I posted Aiken's article, by the way, on Facebook as well. Do check it out and spread it. Tweet that stuff out. Tweet it out. Facebook it. Share it. People need to know that Canada didn't disappear for 10 years under Stephen Harper at the UN. We just stopped worshipping at the altar of an organization that will put Saudi Arabia in charge of human rights, North Korea in charge of disarmament, and rights abusers and... Uh, unstable states like Egypt on the Security Council. This is lunacy. Absolute lunacy. But anyway, as far as FIFA and corruption goes and the UN and corruption goes, the fact is, if we want to be in on the idea that we want to be back at the UN, well, guess what? We need to start paying people off. We need to start saying, yeah, we're going to um, we're going to do some bribes. Did you know that Canada, the last time that we won a seat at the Security Council, we had to end up sending people to um, all the U.N. delegates to a special Cirque du Soleil performance. When we lost, we spent a million dollars lobbying them. Because they have to be taken out, they have to be wined and dined, just like the FIFA officials. This isn't an attack on the liberals. This is an attack on the UN, because this is how the United Nations operates. Greece wanted, back in 98, when Canada was going for the win, the last time we, we wanted to get on the, uh, the UN Security Council, we ended up up against Greece and Holland. Uh, the Dutch rented a boat. They took all the delegates around New York Harbor, took them to see the Statue of Liberty. I don't know. I'm, why'd they do that? We're talking about people that spend all their time in New York. They've seen the Statue of Liberty. The Greeks actually took all the U.N. delegates that would be voting and their wives and put them on a summer cruise in the Aegean Sea. How's that? Let's just send everyone on a nice little cruise in the middle of the summer to some of the most beautiful waters. Have you seen the pictures of the waters around Greece? How crystal clear and blue it looks? And then you got those white buildings and the the blue sea, and it's just magical. But hey, we sent sent them to go see Cirque du Soleil, and apparently that worked. But we spent a million dollars on our losing bid last time. People upset about FIFA's corruption or the corruption at the International Olympic Committee should be equally concerned about the corruption at the UN. You can say, well, this is just the way the game's played. Or you can say, it's time for reform and we're not going to do it. 
But if you talk to the actual bureaucrats on the ground, the one that the ones that Justin Trudeau has been denigrating and saying, Canada's back. Well, if you do that, then you will find out that you're going to have to grease the wheels, that you're going to have to say, hey, you know what? Um, what do you want? What does your wife need? Do you need a spa day in Switzerland? Because we'll pay for it. Just vote for us. That's how it works. And we might also have to throw some votes, like when it comes to denouncing Israel. Maybe we'll have to abstain instead of voting against denunciations of Israel. Maybe we'll have to make nice with the organization of the Islamic Conference, the largest voting bloc at the U.N., that consistently denounces Israel and has a very political agenda. These are all things that need to be discussed and discussed in the open. We didn't lose last time because Canada is a bad country or because Canada had disengaged. We lost because the organization of the Islamic Conference did not like that we were sticking up for the only democracy in the Middle East. And China found a client state in Portugal and helped pay off their debts in order to have someone else vote their way at the UN Security Council. That's the facts. That's the reality. That is beyond the news, beyond the headlines. I'm Brian Lilly. Back tomorrow, maybe with a touch of the Irish for St. Patrick's Day.